rulings. And of course, there's levels of mujtahid. Uh, there's mujtahid in the madhab. There is mujtahid who is able to uh, determine what is the best opinion in the madhab. And of course, there used to be mujtahid mutlaq, uh, which there uh, there isn't anymore by probably I could say ijma' by now. There's been several generations of consensus that there is no mujtahid mutlaq. There's mujtahid nawazil. Nawazil is the new matters. A mujtahid in new matters. So, uh, and then there's of course the mujtahids of the Sahaba, which are uh, sometimes they use the term istiqlal for that. And the difference is that the ijtihad of the Sahaba, they did not have to know the rulings of the Salaf because they were the ultimate Salaf. There was no Salaf before them. So, uh, when I say faqih, I mean somebody he learned. The rulings of a madhab, of aqidah, of tajweed, etc., and he can teach them. And uh, they're they're not they're few and far in between across the country, at least the United States, probably a little bit more in England. Uh, and also, you, the general public, can't always drive physically, so they need online classes. We do that through arcview.org. And this is a general education type of halakha that we do. And it sometimes turns into a hangout. And uh, in the summertime, it's fun because we get to see all these little kids out. Mango Slicer, Shockwave, all these kids' names, high schoolers, which uh, is nice to see. I probably wouldn't have been amenable to that like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. But I'm like surrounded by teenagers now, right? Every day my life is involved with teens and preteens. Preteen is even funner to me, intermediate school. Those kids are, they're, they're still, that to me is the funner uh, of, of all the ages. Uh, but in any event, uh, you're watching the Nothing But Facts live stream, episode I think 102, right? 101. And we are on part two of Surat Al-Qadr. Uh, right, can we get this TV going if it's possible? Just so I could see what ad you're, or what image you're pulling up. Because Rai's got a number of uh, images to pull up today, and uh, which we're going to cover. And there you go. Pulling it up on a beautiful flat screen that we got here that I can see. See, if you got, you don't see the studio, but it's me looking out at a long, basically, room. Ryan is over to the side. There's a nice brick chimney somewhere in the middle. And then on the back end is the library and classes. And in the middle, there's a place for salah. So uh, what we're going to be pulling up is a couple images that you all have been asking for, which is putting these episodes on Spotify. And finally, they're on Spotify, alhamdulillah. And uh, some of you have called, okay, some of you have called for clipping the beginning of the episodes where we didn't have any started really talking yet. And that was because in the beginning, we would actually wait for people to log in, to log on to the stream. Or to start watching. So we would just wait and hang out and talk a little bit. But we don't do that anymore. We go straight to opening up the stream. And so uh, we will, inshallah, from uh, like 20, maybe episode, maybe no, maybe episode like 7 to 100, we have to do some clipping. Uh, but from here on, we won't have to do any clipping because we don't, we don't do that anymore. All right, so next. Next item of business. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finally, bifadlillahi ta'ala, we are ready to launch our on-site part-time program. So as I said, there are, there's an online program, we call that ArcView, and that is going to get a beautiful revamp that you won't even believe. 
And then there's on-site work. And for the on-site work, we teach classes at the New Brunswick Islamic Center, but now we have a part-time program where a brother or sister could study literally 10 hours a week. I'm not even kidding. You could study for 10 hours a week with shiuch here in between New Brunswick and North Brunswick. Classes are on two campuses. So for those of you who aren't in the Jersey area and you're wondering, like, what is this place? So we have a house in New Brunswick. That house has three operations in it. The live stream, the part-time program, and the soup kitchen. And then we have a masjid. That masjid has a ton of stuff going on in it. Amongst it, the part-time program, the Safina Society classes for the locals, and of course the masjid. So the part-time program is up and about, and it's you could check it all out at darulfat.org. We're calling it. We're giving it two names. Darulfat is like our name, as you know, amongst each other. And that name, I it, am very happy to say that I asked my beloved teacher, Habib Omar bin Salim bin Hafid from Yemen, to give us a name because we want to take the blessing of the shiuch, and he called it. Well, first. It, he called it Masjid al-Fatih because it was maybe it was thought it was, maybe it was, we thought it was going to be a masjid, but it's not going to be a masjid. It's just a ma'had, a place of learning. So it's Darul Fatih. Okay, so the, the abode of openings. And then we wanted to give it a type of name that was sort of, I guess, like official or something uh, that you could actually uh, people in, Eng- in the English language could understand, and that's the. Safina Society Theological College. And the website for this operation is darulfat.org. We finished the pre-pilot program, and now we're on the official pilot program, a full one-year pilot program which in which we will assess whether or not we're going to be adding year two or repeating year one. Most likely, we're going to add year two. Like So every year, it'll probably get bigger and bigger until it's a four- or five-year program. We run that for a little bit, then we can start thinking about graduate uh, programs where people write theses, etc., etc., masters, etc. So that is uh, our announcement for today. Okay, uh, it was. It's been a, a long time coming for this this uh, program, putting it together, and it came together really quickly. All right, so it took off. And speaking of taking off, we got a pilot has just showed up. Jawad, what's happening? How are you? Jawad, the pilot has arrived. Uh, as we speaking of the pilot program, so a pilot literally, ju- literally a pilot just showed up. How crazy is that, right? So, but we're announcing our pilot program, and a pilot, has, literal pilot, has just shown up. Mashallah. Uh, so, that is our news to start off. Uh, don't worry about the screen. Uh, when Oz comes, he can fix it, figure it out. Uh, that's our news to start. Spotify, and then if you're in the Jersey area on September 9th, if you're in Central Jersey, or if you're not, you want to drive down. Okay, or drive up. September 9th is our launch event. Right? We can keep that on the screen uh, for people to see. September 9th, grand opening, launch event, where we open up uh, 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 with a beautiful program. We're going to do some khitams of some mutun. A khitam means a closing. And a metan is a little text. So we, from the summer program, for the summer pre-pilot program, we're going to close up those mutun which with a ceremony and then we're going to launch this this program and show how it integrates with all of Safina Saadi's other stuff and with the masjid 
uh, in specific, the method activity, because one of our hallmarks here is integration. We don't want to be some silo off by itself, right? That's like some, uh, um, whenever someone says silo, that's like some, what do you call that? consulting terminology right silos vertical integration you know all this terminology people throw around to try to be professional and get a job but the idea is to integrate this work with the general society which is through the soup kitchen right and we've chosen that very basic simple level of society okay if you step out of the doors of this building that we're in this is not we're not into some posh neighborhood here we're in like a, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the hood, right? It's not the hood for sure, right? Um, but it's not either a suburb either, right? It's in between. But I love it. It's got people walking all the time. There's foot traffic all the time here. It's alive with real people walking around. <clears throat> so uh, we want integration and with integration with that and integration with the local masjid community as well. So we thank the New Brunswick Islamic Center for being our partner and our host and, of course, I am the uh, scholar in residence at the New Brunswick Islamic Center. So it's not like we're just t- tacked on. We're, like, embedded. Let's get now to where we left off on Surat Al-Qadr, and then we will go into open QA. Yeah. We stopped off at the ulama differing upon the time of Laylat Al-Qadr. Some of them said, some people said Laylat al-Qadr was only once. Time of the Prophet and that's it. Some people said that. But we know that if anyone said that, then they, met, they may have meant that specific Laylat al-Qadr in which the entire Quran was revealed to Bayt al-Izzah, which is the lowest heaven above us. But there is Laylat al-Qadr every year for the Muslims until the Day of Judgment. وَرُوِي عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ الْحُسَيْنِ مَوْلَى مُعَاوِيَةِ قَالَ قُلْتُ لِأَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ I said to Abu Huraira زَعَمُوا أَنَّ لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ قَدْ رُفِعَتِ Some people said Laylat al-Qadr is lifted and there is no Laylat al-Qadr anymore. قَالَ كَذَبَ مَنْ قَالَ ذَلِكَ Some people may wonder how could there be such a misunderstanding that early in Islam on something so major? Well, really simply, because Sahaba would come, and I would say a good, towards the end especially, the majority of companions, at the end, the majority of companions had not lived with the Prophet May visited for a month and left. Now you think of all the tribes of the Arabs had entered Islam. Did all of them live weeks and months and, and years with the messenger, peace be upon him? Of course not. They lived, maybe some of them saw the Prophet once at Hajj. So there were a lot of Sahaba who were at the level of Sahaba. They're, so when we read about them, he's a Sahabi, right? But they hadn't spent time with the Prophet, peace be upon him. And they learned their deen after the passing of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa So you have to keep that in mind about the end of Islam. The, the, uh, uh, sorry, the end of the seerah. Of course, in the beginning, everybody in Mecca was literally marinated with the Messenger, peace be upon him. Marinated. They were with him every day, through thick and thin. Then you have the city of Medina, 10 years in Medina, where some 
spent every single day with the Prophet, and some did it. There were levels. Some Sahaba may see the Prophet once uh, a week for Jum'ah. That's it. Attend the Jum'ah khutbah and go back. And he's a Sahabi, right? So he may not know everything. Okay, so they're learning over time. If it is Ibn Abbas, the great Sahabi, who the Prophet prayed for, to be thought Jum'ah al-Qur'an, he missed something. He missed that the Prophet had forbade Mut'ah because he forbade it abroad during one of the battles. And he may have not have been there. Or he may have been there, but just because he was there, there's 100,000 other Sahaba there. Or people, let's say. Conquest of Mecca, how many people are there? Right? A lot of people are there. The whole city of Mecca and all the men of Medina. So if the Prophet makes an announcement, enough people heard it, but not everybody. So we have to understand that uh, the dissemination of the knowledge early on may have missed certain people who were companions. If that's the case for companions, what then do you think about the second generation? Right? The tabi'een. Tabi'een who moved, let's say, to Kufa or to Egypt. Sahaba moved. Then they had children there. So that son or daughter had, may have not uh, learned everything at the time. That's why they're asking a basic question like this. That's why in the early days of fiqh, there's a basic question of if you eat camel meat, do you have to redo your wudu? That's, that's a question that you find in early Islamic history. So here he's telling Abi Huraira that, and the, Abu Huraira is saying, no, kathaba man qala dhalik means he's saying something untrue. Kathaba does not always mean he's intentionally, maliciously telling lies. It just means he's not telling the truth. It's a mistake. Right? Now listen to this. Is it in every month that I should seek it out? Now what does he mean by that? Every month as in every Ramadan or every month? He continues. Okay. And some said in every month and some said in every uh, once a year. And Malik, Sayyidina Imam Malik, when asked about his routine habits, he spent the first night of every month up all night in ibad and dua, believing the heavens to be open on that night. So when we narrate or, or transmit that the first night of Rajab, the Nisf Shaban, okay, these are the sacred nights. And some people say, no, 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 there's nothing like that. No, the Salaf did act upon that. And Malik is of the third generation, right? And no one's going to know more about the second generation than Malik himself. He used to stay up the first night of every Hijri month. And Habib Omar teaches that part of Iman is to be in tune with the Hijri calendar, not to be in heedlessness of the Hijri calendar. Because that's the real calendar. This calendar of March and April and May is for our worldly life which we organized on the sun because it's predictable. Like at January, we finally figured it out. By the way, they hadn't figured it out all the time uh, in the past. This idea of adding one-fourth of a day was like a revolutionary idea in, in our history. As human beings, it really was. Because before that, the leap year kept messing everybody up. And look up the history of the Gregorian calendar. Right? The, they, they figured out that you need to add, well, how do you add a quarter of a day a year? You can't, right? So, but you can add a full day every four years. So that's how they did it. And that's how 
they got the calendar fixed. And I think, personally speaking, Allah said the sun and the moon are for calculation, right? It's an amazing advancement. In, 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 it's, it's an amazing development. So that January 1st is every year the sun and the earth and the moon are in the same alignment on every January 1st. It's one of the most amazing, amazing you know, signs of the human intellect. And just because kuffar did it means nothing. Because Allah created, what did, what did they do it with? With what did they do it? The brain that Allah gave them. Calculating the sun that Allah created, the moon that Allah created, the earth that Allah created. Our instruments too. It's our instruments, right? So the instrument that Allah created, here, pull your mic up and talk as much as you, whenever you want. Oh, you're talking about the, the yeah, the astrolabe. All these stars are Muslim names. By the way, there's, there's a Twitter account that's really nice. Uh, I shared it a couple days ago. It's about little cards for kids and really for adults. Literally one sentence on an invention by a Muslim. And one of the series they have is for, for the names of stars. Right? All these half of the stars in the, out there are named by Muslims. Right? Which just goes to show that we have a history to be proud of. Which is a double-edged sword, by the way. It's nice to have a history to be proud of. It's not nice when you have to be proud of your history. Because that means you don't have to be proud of your present. Right? You have nothing to be proud of. Your pre- but as I said, when people say this, imagine meeting Muhammad Ali when he's 80 years old. Imagine meeting Michael Jordan at 85 years old. How, what do you think Michael Jordan is going to be like at 85 years old? He's going to be an old man, right? He's going to be grouchy probably. He's already a grouch, right? Uh, he's going to be an old man. You're not going to go see a specimen. Okay? So when you look at Islam, the Ummah of Islam is an ancient, it's an old religion. It's an old civilization. Okay? It's not even a civilization. It's <clears throat> a religion of civilizations. So just because it has lost so much of its uh, energy and creativity and, and, and cutting edge does not take away from its reality. Does it take away that Muhammad Ali, when he was old and could barely speak because of his disease, okay, Parkinson's, does it take away that he was the greatest boxer? Because he really he was objectively the greatest boxer. He could beat you on, on, on power, speed, and, endure, and resilience. And poetry. I mean, he was the, is there a better marketer for a sport than Muhammad Ali? Right. If you had a sport right now, you got Michael Jordan, you got Muhammad Ali. I'm taking Muhammad Ali. Be- because Jordan was a great, he was a, brand amb- he was a great ambassador for the game, but he wasn't friendly, right? He wasn't somewhat, like, he had a good media persona to a while, for a while, but then he became like a mean dude. Muhammad Ali, he's a philanthropist, he's friendly, right? He's the best ambassador you could have. Uh, Muhammad Ali beat George Foreman on resilience, getting punched, that's a skill. Not a skill, but it's, a, it's, a, it's part of the game. To get punched for like 10 rounds and then to only start punching back in the last two rounds. He beat Sonny Liston on pure power. One punch. Knocked, that's the famous picture. And he beat George Foreman on speed. The only difference between... Uh, not George Foreman. Uh, what's his name? The other guy. Um, Frazier. He played Frazier three times. He beat him two out of three. But he should have beat him three out of three. He came back too early right, from jail. To, to do that MSG fight, famous MSG fight, where it was like one of the greatest sports events at the time, and he lost because he came too early. But if you look at the difference, they were so matched, the only difference, he beat him on speed. He's faster than him. He had quicker reflexes, quicker feet, quicker hands. Who else in the boxing history can, beat, can win 
right, can beat three champions on three different skill sets, uh, right? Tyson said that Allah was showing for, off. For the, come close. No, uh, I want to say Mike Tyson, he said that Allah was showing off when he created Muhammad Ali. SubhanAllah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. SubhanAllah. Probably a kufri statement if taken technically, but we understand what he means, right? Tyson being Tyson, right? <laughs> but but Mike Tyson beats you on power. That's it. Does he beat you on... Show me one fight Mike Tyson was getting hit, getting hit, getting hit, and taking the hits. He wasn't. Where did he beat you on speed with his feet? He doesn't. He beats you on power. He has more power than Muhammad Ali, but he doesn't have the balance of this, the, the talent stack. In any event, so uh, what we're saying is the Ummah of Islam is an ummah that is old, all right? You're seeing it in a time, it's extra time, right? This is extra time. If the history had to be written at a thousand and cut history of Islam at a thousand, it would still be the greatest of, uh, of, of forces of civilization. I love what one scholar said of Mauritania. He said, do not say Islam, the ummah is a civilization. It is the religion of civilizations, okay? It's the religion of civil Civilizations need a religion, to hold it together, to give it meaning, right? Islam is the religion of different civilizations. It's the electricity to the device. That's what it is. Every device could be what it is, right? A TV could be a TV, uh, a camera could be a camera, an iPad could be an iPad, but they all need power. They need electricity or else they're dead. So it's the same thing. So in any event, uh, we move on now to the next... Ayah regard, regarding this. Hiya layla fi layali as-sana hatta law'allaqa rajulun talaqu mra'atihi wa'ataqa abdahu bilaylatil qadri la yaqa'u ma lam tamdi sana min hini halaf. This is an interesting fit question. All right, right, here's a fit question for you. If a man says, I swear by Allah that I will divorce my wife on laylatil qadr. Okay. Or any oath, right? Any oath, and he hangs it on Laylatul Qadr. What's the ruling? Because we technically don't know when Laylatul Qadr is, right? What's the ruling? Allah Okay. Uh, I could guess, though. Guess. Um, that the second Ramadan comes is broken. Close. One year has to pass. One year pass. Yeah. Because it will be guaranteed to come in that year, right? Now, I wonder that why did they didn't say just one Ramadan has to pass, right? Like full Ramadan passes, Laylatul Qadr would certainly say, but here he says that uh, one year. And this is narrated from Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Saying Abdullah bin Mas'ud gave that fatwa. Okay. Abdullah bin Omar, he says, hold on, here we go. Abdullah bin Omar says, may Allah have mercy on uh, Abu Abdul Rahman, Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Didn't he know it's in the month of Ramadan? So therefore, right? You don't have to wait a full year. Wait one Ramadan. Yeah, That's so what he one just said. Ramadan. Yeah. So once Ramadan second. passes. Yeah. Exactly. So from the 1st to the 30th, there's definitely going to be one of those. Okay. But... He gave Abdullah bin Umar, uh, Masood an excuse. He said, but he wanted to keep people hopeful that Laylatul Qadr could be any time in the year. That's why he said that. Rather than just Ramadan, then they take their foot off the brake. Don't take your foot off the brake. So you have every Laylatul Jum'ah, you have to treat it like special. 
every night before Friday. Because I'm telling you, when you do this, and you take the night before Friday seriously, and you take the first night of every Hijri month seriously, and you take Nisfa Shaban seriously, and you take these months seriously, when you come to Laylatul Qadr, you're on fire. And you cannot play well in a game unless you practice. You cannot do well in a test unless you studied, you did well in the homeworks. The best people who do well in exams are the people who take the homework seriously, right? The best pe people who perform in a game are the people who take practice seriously. The best people who, t who perform well in Nawafil are those who take Fura'at seriously. And the best people who perform well in Ramadan are those who take the other nights seriously, the sacred nights of the middle of the, the year, throughout the year. Last night was the beginning of a Hijri month. Some said it's the first night of Ramadan. Al-Hasan al-Basri says this seven, uh, 17th of Ramadan. Okay. And because that night was the night of Badr. And the correct answer is what most of them said. It's in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. That is the most correct answer, rather than spe specifying any one night. This talk we usually give it in Ramadan, but here we are in Surah Al-Qadr. That's why we're bringing it here. Okay. قالت كان سيد عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان صلى الله عليه وسلم يجاور في العشر الأواخر في رمضان ويقول تحروا ليلة القدر في العشر الأواخر من رمضان. So where did we get the concept of the last ten nights from the messenger himself? He used to go to his family and said, look out for the last 10 nights of Ramadan. Okay. And the Messenger ﷺ also can, according to Sayyidina Aisha, He used to put effort in the last 10 that he would not put in the previous, uh, any other time. Because there's sometimes, like as they say, everything has balance, even balance. Like even the concept of being balanced has limits. Like everything has limits. You can't be balanced all the time. If there's a fire, we don't say, okay, let's be balanced. Let's go slow and steady and, and think first. No, you run for your life, right? If there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you run for your life. That's what Laylatul Qadr is. You run. You leave everything and you run, right? It's not going to happen again. You might not make it again. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. And Allah loves those who rush to the goodness like that. When the last ten nights of Ramadan, the Prophet used to roll up his sleeves and wake up his family and give life to his night. What is give life to his night? That means the night was like the day in the many different things he did. So let's say you do tahajjud in the regular, uh, outside of Ramadan. You put like a little light on, a small light, and you pray tahajjud, Right? You don't put all the kitchen lights on and fire up the stove and make noise and that's Ihya al-Layl. You don't do that in the regular time, right? But in Ramadan we do. Our whole night becomes our day. You know, I remember our neighbors looking, what the? The whole family, kids, friends, right? Being dropped off, picked up. It's like 3.30 a.m. What's with this family, right? But that's what Ihya al-Layl means. Literally, the night becomes a day. And then, of course, there is no specification on which of the last ten nights, but the Prophet did specify the which of the last ten nights. And of course, even with that specification, that is assuming that Sha'ban had 30 days. If Sha'ban had 29 days, 
and you just couldn't see the new moon, then yes, we're calculating Ramadan to be... Uh, sorry, if, if the new moon... Uh, wait, did I get it wrong? No, that's assuming that Shaban is 29 days and we saw the new moon. Once you see the new moon after 29 nights of Shaban, you're certain that that's the first of Ramadan. Okay. Whereas if it's cloudy on Shaban on the 30th night, then maybe you missed the moon, but it's there. So maybe you're, what you're considering the first of Ramadan is actually the second. Right? Because it's later to check. But of course, by Sharia, it's valid calculation. But you still never know because we had t- there were stories in the past where one city did not see the new moon because it was cloudy. The neighboring city did see it, or maybe not so neighboring, maybe a couple cities of later. And a traveler comes through and says, Whoa, no, you, you're late one day. And they adjust themselves, right? So, um, this is the don't again don't get so comfortable even about the witter because how do you know you're 100% on the spot so the only time you do know 100% that this is the first or third or the odd night or the even night of Ramadan is when Shaban was 29 nights and then we got to look and saw the crescent moon ourselves okay or yeah any someone in the region saw it and we're certain now that this is the first month of Ramadan First night of Ramadan. When it's Layla Tashak. So we got to consider that maybe, uh, yes, legally our calculation is fine by Sharia, but it could be the first or second night, second night of Ramadan. Is that clear? How that makes sense? Yeah. Okay. Abu Bakr. He's a Sahabi. He used to pray in the first, when Ramadan came in, his ibadah was just like any other month. Ibadah, tahajjud, everything. However, until the last 10 nights come, then he would put a lot of effort. Okay. Kharaj al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the hadith of Anas who took it from Ubadah ibn al-Samit. The Prophet came out لِيُخْبِرَنَا بِلَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ Okay. To tell us about Laylatul al-Qadr. Okay. خَرَجْتُ لِيُخْبِرُكُمْ بِلَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ فَتَلَاحَ فُلَانُ وَفُلَانُ فَرُفِعَتْ Two men argued. Prophet said, I have come to tell you it was Laylatul Qadr. But two men argued, so it was lifted. It was lifted. SubhanAllah. Maybe that's better for you. So you can get it another day. So seek it out in the 9th, 7th, and 5th. Okay. Did he mean by that of the last 10 nights? So like 29, 27, 25. In the last seven. Okay. 
Whoever's seeking it, look out for it in the last seven nights. Okay. And the messenger said, that he used to do i'tikaf in the ten middle nights. Then one year, on the 21st, what happens? Um, he said that the night that he would leave his i'tikaf, so he used to do atikaf in the 10 middle. Then when they expected him to leave, because the 10 middle are over, he said, whoever is doing atikaf, stay. For the last 10. I was shown when is Laylat al-Qadr. But Allah took it away from me. Allah has lifted it from his memory. And I saw myself prostrating. Okay. In water and mud. So seek it out in the last ten. And further seek it out in the odd nights. Abu Sa'id al Khudri said, And it rained that night. Uh, so it rained that night. So it was, then a night came when it rained while the Prophet was praying and therefore there was mud on his face and he had prostrated on water and mud. So he saw the sign of Laylatul Qadr will be the, the night in which you pray in mud. Now, how many times does that happen in the desert? Right? Very rare. Rain three times, subhanAllah. Ajib, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Okay. And so someone said it was the 21st night. Okay. Others said it will be the 23rd night. So they had different statements. All of which are. Now, why is it that it's almost like, oh, it's here? But then it disappears. No, it's not, right? It's because it's giving us hope that we can get it. We can find out when Laylatul Qadr is. But it's not giving us certainty so that we don't get reliant upon it. And there is a wisdom why Allah Ta'ala always gives you a lot of hope but no certainty. There's a great wisdom. You ever feel like some truths are slippery, right? Many times, like, spiritual things are slippery. It's, like, so hopeful and it's right there in front of you, but I can't really grasp it with the same certainty that this phone is in my hand. Right? Why? It's to give you enough certainty to fill your heart with hope and confidence and belief, but not enough to make you reliant. Does anyone make dua that, that they, they don't lose their phone today? No. Right? Because it's right in front of you. There's so much certainty, it cuts off reliance on Allah. Like, it's, it weakens our reliance on Allah. Anything that's so certain, it cuts... Like, you never make dua for, oh Allah, make the lights go on today. The lights go on every single day, right? So whenever there's something so firmly in your grasp, you don't pray for it. But Allah doesn't want that for certain things. He wants you to pray for it. He wants you to seek it. But He doesn't want to hide it so much that you lose hope. You're like, oh, this is impossible, right? So He gives you just enough. There's always, it's almost like that little thing that comes up, that game for kids, right? I shouldn't say a game because that's not a right analogy. But it's like giving you hope 
a lot of hope and certainty, but not enough certainty that you can grab it and totally rely, uh, lose your reliance upon Allah. And lose your dua and lo- lose your, your search for it. عن عبد الله بن أنيس عن أبيه أنه قال لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إني أكون ببادية يقال لها الوطأ. I am uh, I sometimes I'm in a desert an empty desert called الوطأ وإني بحمد الله أصلي بهم. I pray with the people there. فمرني بليلة من هذا الشهر أنزلها إلى المسجد فأصليها فيه. Or أنزلها. So tell me about one night in this month that I can go and pray in the mosque. أنزل ليلة ثلاثة وعشرين فصلي فيه. Go to the mosque. So he's a Bedouin. He prays out in the desert. He says, when can I come to the masjid? Right? Give me one night. I can't come every night. Tell me one night I can come to the masjid. Like many of our employees today. Hey, can you tell, tell, get us one night, we'll take off and we'll work. Uh, we won't work and we'll come to the masjid. Very similar, right? So his Prophet ﷺ said the 23rd. وَإِنْ أَحْبَبْتَ أَنْ تَسْتَتِمَّ آخِرَ الشَّهْرِ فَفَعَلْ And if you're able to, do the rest of the month and do it. And this is what the Prophet would do. The Prophet ﷺ used to not burden somebody with something. But he would just give them something doable. Once they taste it, they may continue. But he also says... But if you like, go back. Just do the one night and that's it. No pressure. That's the methodology of the Prophet ﷺ. So he used to do it from Asr to Fajr. And only go out for a need. By morning, his donkey was by the door of the mosque. وقال صلى الله عليه وسلم في رواية عن أبي هريرة أبو أبي هريرة ممنوع من الصرف تذكرنا ليلة القدر فقال صلى الله عليه وسلم كم مضى من من الشهر. We mentioned ليلة القدر. The Prophet said how many days have passed from the month. فقلنا اثنان وعشرون. 22 have passed and 7 remain. فَقَالَ مَضَى إِثْنَتَانِ وَعِشْرُونَ وَبَقِيَ سَبْعَ أُطْلُبُوهَا اللَّيْلَةَ الشَّهْرَ تِسْعَ وَعِشْرُونَ Seek it tonight. Right, which would be the 23rd. The month is 29. قَالَ قَوْمٌ فِي لَيْلَةِ لَيْلَةِ سَبْعٍ وَعِشْرِينَ وَهِيَ قَوْلَ عَلِي وَأُبَيْ وَعَائِشَةَ Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Ubay bin Ka'ab, Sayyidina Aisha, they said 27th. Okay. That من يقوم الحول يصبها فقال رحم الله أبا عبد الرحمن أما إنه قد علم أنها في رمضان. Again, they mentioned that Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, seek out Laylatul Qadr the whole year. الحول, the whole year. Okay. And then someone said, May Allah have mercy on Ibn Mas'ud. Doesn't he not know it's in the month of Ramadan? Walakin, however, okay, he hated that people only rely on the month of Ramadan. So he used to tell people it's any night of the year. Huwa الذي أنزل 
أنزل القرآن على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ليلة سبعة وعشرين سبعة وعشرين فقلنا يا أبا المنذر How did you know this? They asked him, how did you know? Oh, by the way, could you uh, leave a spot for Sheikh Murad? He needs a parking spot. There's a parking spot in the... Okay, good. Okay. قال بالآية التي أخبرنا النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فحفظناها وعددناها هي والله لا تنسى قال قلنا وما الآية تطلع الشمس كأنها طاس ليس لها شعاع There is a sign that we know when it is he says Abu al-Mundar says He said well what's the sign آية here meaning a sign not a verse He says the sun comes up with no rays around it The sun comes up like a disc There are no rays around. Usually when the sun comes up, there's rays. Okay, but this, the sun comes up like a disc. لا شعاع لها وفي الجملة أبهم الله هذه الليلة In general now, Allah hid this first. على هذه الأمة ليجتهدوا في العبادة So that they could put effort in عبادة. Okay. But gave us some hope that it is knowable. So it is possible that you look, you have the signs of Sakina uh, in the night, a clear sky in the morning, and the sun comes up like a clear disk, and you could feel confident that that was Laylatul Qadr. And the certainty level here is Dhan. Now, Dhan, you have to understand, can be 99%. That's the beauty of it, right? Dhan can be 99%. Just as Allah Ta'ala hid the hour of ijabah on Jummah, likewise uh, in the last third of the night. And he hid, of the five prayers, there's one special prayer. What is it? As-salatul wusta, the middle prayer. Which middle of what? Based on what? So if you base it upon the order of the prayers in the day, then asr is the middle prayer. But what if we consider the Hijri calendar and the prayer start at night. So Maghrib would be the first day prayer. That means Fajr would be Salat al-Wusta. What if we considered it based upon the order of the existence of the prayers? What was the first of the prayers to exist? Dhuhr. Because after Isra' al-Mi'raj, the Prophet was given the five prayers in Isra' al-Mi'raj. The next day, At Fajr, Sayyidina Jibreel did not meet the Prophet ﷺ. At that time, the Prophet had went to tell everybody what he saw. Rather, Sayyidina Jibreel waited until the sun was up so that the visibility between him and the Messenger was clear to show the Prophet exactly how to pray. Previous to that, they prayed in their own ways, in a way that was maybe the remnants of the Salah of Ibrahim ﷺ, which has been hidden from us. We don't know what it is. But... Sayyidina Jibreel came, showed the Prophet the, reva- the renewed method of wudu and the renewed method of salah. And that salah was dhuhr. Okay? Because now that it's fard, it must be done right away. But fajr is excused because it's too dark. Cannot show someone how to pray during fajr. Right? So you show someone how to pray at the nearest most time where the prayer is possible to be shown and that was dhuhr. 
So if we consider that dhuhr is the first prayer to exist, the first obligatory prayer to be performed, so then dhuhr asr, maghrib, becomes the middle prayer. Okay? So in that case, we have an argument for fetch, we have an argument for asr, and we have an argument for dhuhr. Uh, sorry, for, uh, for Maghrib. We said Fajr, Asr, and Maghrib. So, which one is it? Again, Allah hid it from us. Sayyidah Aisha's fatwa in her, tafsir, in her tafsir was that it's Salatul Asr. Salatul Asr. Because there's also a mention that the Sahaba said we love Salatul Asr more than we love our families. And we also have that the Quraysh, there were two spies. Well, one of them became Muslim. Afterwards, he used to say that we used to say before Islam, wait for the Muslims during Asr prayer and attack because they love this Salah more than anything else. But when we figured that out, that Allah Ta'ala created for them Salat al-Khawf, which is the prayer of suspicion and fear of being attacked. And Salat al-Khawf is a very unique prayer where, which preserves one imam. You have one imam, and the jama'a, one jama'a prays, and the other jama'a stands guard. They don't pray. The imam sits halfway through the prayer. The first group finishes the prayer. Then they swap out. They call the iqama. When they call the iqama, the imam gets up to finish his second half of prayer, which is the second group's first half of the prayer. Meanwhile, the first group finished, and they're standing guard. This is called Salat al-Khawf. Sheikh Aran told us something like, interesting about it. That if um, you can't like make the switch off, or however you, yeah. can't, you can't, it's not safe to even do it like that, yeah. you can pray while you're fighting. Wow, subhanAllah. Like, literally in the yeah. middle of the fight, you can recite SubhanAllah, Azim. And you can talk in the middle of that prayer too if you need Ajib, to. Ajib, SubhanAllah. I remember after 9-11, uh, some people got excited when like a masjid was attacked or something, egged. Egged. Right? <laughs> I went through eggs at the door of a mosque. We got to pray Salat al <laughs> uh, Subhanallah. Uh, uh, emotional attack. Unbelievable. I, 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 might, get, I might get tweeted at Salat al <laughs> Here, you hold the phone and wait for the tweet. We'll pray Salat al Uh... What else did Allah hide? Did he not hide al-ism al-a'zam in all of his names? It maybe is Allah, maybe is ya hayu ya qayyum, but we don't know. Okay, so what do we do with all this? We give the hope, we put that effort in for all the names. Could it be ar-Rahman ar-Rahim? Could it be ya hayu ya qayyum? Or al-Hasan al-Basri says, it's the hal that you have, the state, not the actual name. And did Allah not hide his rida in his ta'a? Which act of obedience has Allah's pleasure in it? Sayyidina Ali said, well, Sayyidina Umar said, avoiding the haram. Another sahabi said, dhikrullah. Another sahabi said, feeding, uh, Sayyidina Ali said, the deed that you hate the most. The deed that you hate the most. Another one said, the deed that you despise the most. Not despise means you consider it so minute. Right? You ever walk by the masjid floor and there's a wrapper? And you just look at it and you keep going? How do you know that that wasn't the deed that Allah Ta'ala loves? 
cleaning up his house with a little thing like that. Okay? Did not Allah hide his sakhat in his sins? You don't know which sin. The sin that you take lightly, it may be a minor sin, but you're taking it lightly may be a major sin. Think about that. That's heavy. It may be a minor sin, but you're taking it lightly, that part of it is a major sin of your heart. Because you take, if someone Allah doesn't like, oh, it's a minor sin. And you do it anyway. So that may be actually, you're taking it lightly may be the problem here. Okay? Did not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hide his awliya amongst the people, amongst the Muslims? The awliya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, they're classified by knowledge, but they're not always scholars. There is knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where a big wali of Allah, he may know his fardain. He knows what he needs to know. Yet his submission and his dhikr and his passion for dhikr is so high and so great that Allah has elevated him because of that. Through that, not through many other deeds, not through much knowledge or jihad or service to the ummah. Maybe his service to the ummah is, is he's basically giving 110% of what he has. And his circumstance has caused him to have so little to give to the ummah, but he's given 110%. Every single, at every turn, he's giving. Whereas uh, you can have a king or a scholar or a, or a influential person. His abilities to give out are this much. But he keeps a nice sliver for himself, right? The other guy, no. He, he has this much, but he gives 110% of it, right? So don't judge by the outside. When we say judge by the outside, we say, yes, wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not be a public sinner. That's guaranteed. The two are opposite things. He may be a public sinner now, but if Allah chooses him to be a wali, he's not going to be. And he won't be a heretic in beliefs. We know that for sure. He won't be jahil about the fard that he must know. He will know how to pray, how to fast, how to give zakah. And if he's ignorant of it, As Sha'rani says that one of his statements that he used to say when he used to see some Ignorant people, but they would worship Allah a lot. They would do awrad, but they wouldn't study at, in Egypt. He used to pass on, and he used to say, He used to pass them and say, This stuff that you're doing, ibadah, awrad, fasting, wearing zuhud, sitting on the ground, this is not what you need. You need to be inside Al Azhar studying. Allah did not take an ignorant wali. Okay. Finally, the shaykh there answered him. He says, no, Allah may take a wali who's jahil, then he will educate him. He will take a wali, a person who is jahil, but he will educate him. In other words, it's not a flip. It's not like a light switch. Okay, I have knowledge, now he can become wali. No, you may have some, so many good qualities in you, and you're striving towards Allah, but you don't know stuff. You don't know everything, right? So Allah chooses you. Because of the effort that you're putting in, then he educates you okay, and teaches you. And that was a massive uh, uh, statement that Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani, he then uh, started to look differently at that sheikh. And that sheikh showed him many karamats and became his sheikh. 
subhanAllah. So Allah has hid many things. He hid Laylatul Qadr. He hid Sa'atul Ijabah. He hid his sins in, 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 in the mis- his anger in misdeeds, his ridha. What else did he hide? The barakah in the food. Did not the Prophet wasallam say, finish every last piece because you don't know where the barakah is. And even if a piece of bread was on the floor and Sayyidah Aisha walked by it, the Prophet wasallam he cautioned her. He took the bread. He dusted it off. He, he put it in water and he ate it. Don't take any food. It upsets me to see people leave the last pieces of rice. I actually don't like to eat rice sometimes for that reason because I'm going to eat every last piece. I'm not going to leave every single... I'm telling you, I have sometimes have people saying, enough with the pot. Leave the last few. It's not going to make a difference. You don't know where the barakah is. Or it's not like we have an overflow of barakah in the food. It's all like tampered with and ruined, right? But when a Muslim cooks that food... Right, you, you never know where the barakah is. Okay, so every last piece of rice, every last piece of uh, whatever the food is, the vegetables or the peas, the you know these little things, bread, finish it off. It's a great habit. Whatever's in your plate, that plate should be polished afterwards. Polished, polished off. Allah has also hidden the end of time. Everything about the end of time is hidden. Anybody who says. In the year 2027, the Mahdi is going to come out. Don't believe it. I saw it in the Lawah al-Mahfuz. Allah will change it. Because it's meant to be a surprise. Nobody knows when Yawm al-Qiyamah is. Akhfa qiyam al-Sa'ah. So you could worry. It could be tomorrow. There could be the Dajjal could come out. The Imam Mahdi could come out. The Akhruz. And what difference does it make? Right? The signs are all here. The reality of it is all here. People who one day they're practicing, next day they lost it. Other people, they're completely astray, next day they're righteous. And the, 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 the gap, the middle area is decreasing now. It's almost like woke, liberal, pink-haired, purple-haired, piercings all over, half your hair is buzzed, and you have 30 sexualities and 25 pronouns. Or... You got one God, one book, two genders, and that's it, right? One ummah. Like that ummah is going one way. In the Christian world, in America, it's the same thing. You either go in one, of the, one way. The, the middle, the old-fashioned middle of the 90s is gone, where neither are you religious nor are you demonic. You're like in the middle. You look like a regular guy. Maybe you go to church once a year, right, for Christmas. You want to, whatever. You're just a regular, maybe you're even an atheist, but you're still like, you won't really boast about it, right? So there's, we can't tell what you are, what you're all about. In this day and age, it's, it's a clear line, right? You're either supporting all that stuff, not only tolerant of it. Again, when I was growing up, you wouldn't know the beliefs of a person. He may be tolerant of something. He may have an opinion. Of, you wouldn't know. The outside of people was pretty much similar. Right, but today you're either promoting something or you're against it. Very few people have no opinion on transgenderism, unless he's intentionally not saying it because he's got to please both sides, right? But something like that. Very few people have no opinion on the creator anymore. Yeah, that's that. Here's another amazing thing. That's an amazing observation you made. Does not Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? He's judging every one of us, right? Most people will not come up with an opinion if they don't have a voice. Like, you know, like for Corona, I never really stuck to an opinion because what difference does it make? 
Am I a doctor? Am I a policymaker? Am I a virologist? What difference does it make my opinion? So I'm not going to bother spending time making my opinion. But now, through these devices, every Tom, Dick, and Harry can come up with their opinion and publish it and maybe go viral, right? And, and get 15 minutes of fame. So people do formulate opinions now. And maybe that's one of the wisdoms. Because let's see what your opinion is. We'll give you a platform. By everybody having a platform, it motivates them to have an opinion. I need to have something to say. Right? So by having an opinion, well, here you are. This is your opinion. This is this. So your testimony, your test, you're writing your day of judgment testimony right here. People are writing literally the, the evidence. The evidence of your belief is in what you're publishing to society. So you can't come on Yom Qiyam and say, no, no, no. Oh, yes, you were. You, you, you tweeted it. You snapped it. You Instagrammed it. You uh, whatever it is. Yeah. We're doing it now. It's like you can see bring your, your timeline. Yeah. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And, and you can't say anything about it, right? Like, you published this yourself. I think we have to stop here because Laylatul Qadr is a long subject. So we, we should stop here. Okay. Laylatul Qadri. Surah Al Qadr, I should say, is a. Um, it's a big subject. So, let's stop here and we will do Laylat al-Qadr part, Surah al-Qadr part three. Let's now, um, turn to our Instagram and our YouTube channels and let's do an announcement. Yes, first of all, all of our streams are now on Spotify, iTunes, well it used to be iTunes, now it's Apple Music and Google Play. All the live streams are updated on the same Safina Society channel. They're all there. Yes, some of you have asked us to clip out okay, the front, and we will think about how we will do that for episodes like 17 all the way to, um, to 100. But we won't have to do that in the future. So check it out on Spotify. Uh, we will next do... September 9th, if you are in the Jersey area, remember, as exciting as the Dar al-Fatih news is, it is for the locals, okay? It is, it's an on-site program. There's no online element to it. All of our online element is on arcview.org. But if you're in the area and you want to support this future college, it's starting in a small space, but we have big dreams and ambitions and hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and confidence in the community and the students and the scholars and everyone's and the supporters that it will be a full-fledged college, religious college one day or college of uh, that will you know, spread this teaching of deen. Okay. <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> uh, and it will be a, a, a we, we want the spirit of the ma'ahid Diniya, the the spirit of those ma'ahid rather than the spirit of like uh, uh, like a college university, right? So that you want to come to that launch event that is September 9th. and applications are now open. You can apply. You will be either admitted to the part time program or to the preparatory course that I teach on Sundays. You're going to be admitted to one or the other, and you're going to apply. Okay, so you can apply 
at dar darulfat.org okay and that is darulfat.org and we are that's its arabic name and we are also calling it the safina society theological college theological in the western concept means the study of all religion not just aqidah okay so uh, that's second announcement as applications are now open and people uh, can start sending in their applications to join this program and to be part of it. There's a men's one and a women's one. All the women's classes will be at the New Brunswick Islamic Center. Right? They'll be at MBIC. There's HIFS is part of it and HIFS at your pace. Okay. There's HIFS, there's a Aqida class, Fiqh class, Tasawwuf class, one hour each, maybe a little over an hour. Okay, and then there is um, uh, yes for the for the women, the there are, these are the four classes, and oh, then there's tafsir, my awaitim class, three hour class on Sunday. That's the women's program. So let me repeat that: women's program Monday night, hour of aqidah, hour of fiqh. Any time during the week, hifs of Quran. You can go four times a day uh, a week if you want, two times a week if you want, whenever you want. Uh, third thing is Thursday, I teach the Sawaf class. And then Sunday, I teach the Tafsir class. Right, so that's the women's program. The uh, men's program has Fiqh, it has Aqidah, Tasawuf as well, Tafsir as well, but it has an extra day of classes on Mantiq right, and Ulum al Hadith. Okay. Mantiq and Ulum al-Hadith. All right, so let us take a look at what we have here. Uh, Sophie, is Hift on site? Yes, Hift right now is only on site. Okay, we do not have an online Hift program. Oz is here. And let's also remember that you can support this live stream. Don't forget. Uh, let's see those books you got, Oz. Oz coming dressed like an assassin in all black. Okay. <laughs> it's blue, but close enough. Huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. His, you know, his nickname was the music producer. Because when he first started to come to the masjid, when he first used to come to the masjid, he looked like a music producer. But he like the glasses, the sneakers. All right. Um, no, I'm this. Support this. Live stream, you feel, if you like this live stream, you benefit from it, other people benefit from it. Well, how do you think it happens? It simply happens by your generosity. Patreon.com backslash Safina Society. That's how you can be part of it. And uh, I want to give my heartfelt thanks, gratitude, and I make dua for all of our patrons from England, uh, our, our patrons from England and from the United States. And I think there's even some from Pakistan. So these are all copies of Al Muatta. Uh, with just a straight up muatta, no sharh, different copy, Dar al Gharb, al Islami, okay, also muatta, no sharh. Why is this one so small? Okay, this one is, I guess, the difference is the just the print, really. Um, no, no, this is. Strange. Yeah, I don't even know what it 
Yeah, just um, it's the muatta. All the hadiths are here. It looks like, but I don't know why it's so short. No, it seems like it's half of the muatta. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to look it up because interesting. And then this is another copy of the muatta. So we're building up the library here. What we uh, need is like a grad student to start reading these books. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we, we need to have, well, what we need to do is if we want people to read, we shut the Wi-Fi off downstairs, yeah. right? And then we have a reading hour, right? Maybe that's something that you guys could do as a, as a, as a thing. Yeah. We get some coffee, shut, literally pull the plug on the Wi-Fi. But people, people don't use the Wi-Fi. They got data, right? No, here's it. Submit your phone in a basket. Do it as a group, right? Yeah. You put, everyone put their phone in a basket, okay? One person makes the coffee. And you sit around here with some backjacks, and everyone just read for an hour, no, no talking. It's a practice. Yeah. It's a Buddha, It's like a Buddhist uh, meditation practice. Yeah. Isn't that a good idea? And That's for, great we, encouragement. We could do it in circles as well, where people help out each other, especially if they're trying to learn. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, everyone sit in separate spots so that there's no itch to talk, yeah. right? And then, if someone uh, talks, it's like a shame. Like yeah. it's the library. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's a very good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Between the live stream and the classes, yeah, people are here anyways. We might as well make. Yeah, make but it should be a set hour. Yeah, people show up for it. Yes. Get coffee. Yes. No talking, and you have to put your. Everyone's got to put their cell phone in a basket. Yeah. Tahira Omar says, "Does zuhud mean pride? No, pride is ujb and kibr. The words for pride, the word for pride is kibr. Zuhud is that you lose interest." The true meaning of Zuhd is to lose interest in worldly matters. Okay. Zuhd is good. Zuhd is good, of course. Uh, for Friday prayer, says Moab, in Desi mosques, there's a lecture in Urdu, then a khutbah in Arabic, and, that, and then sunnahs are prayed, then a Jummah is prayed. So that is the method of prayer of for Salat al-Jum'ah if it is um, if it is basically like um, the the ruling held is that khutbah must be in Arabic so that's how they do it so they give a little a short talk then they call that then then they give a short khutbah solely in Arabic which most of the people won't understand so that's why they give the talk in the native language first you can also become YouTube uh, sign up to become YouTube supporters, what is it called? YouTube members? Members. Uh, and that's another way that you can help keep this uh, live stream going. Thank you very much. I have a yes. Uh, it's really random, but you know, mercy of Allah is so great, right? Yes. So if, if Shaitan was to repent, would he be forgiven? By, by uh, if the question is, bring your mic to, uh, close to your mouth. If Satan was to repent, would he be forgiven? Well, rationally speaking, the answer is yes. But scripturally, we we know the answer is that he will not repent. Yeah, he will not. Repent. But rationally speaking, there is no contradiction with any of, like the attributes of Allah or the definition, the, the nature. Uh, that there's nothing contradictory in that. That is possible. It is possible. Uh, uh, sorry, it is rationally possible. There's no contradiction there. But he, we know he won't. So it's haram for someone to, is to believe that it would be like a heresy. And there is a group that sympathizes with Shaitan. They're called, uh, uh, you know, what's that group that sympathizes with Iblis? Satanists? No, no, no. In in the Islamic world, they still exist. The ISIS just tried to do jihad against them. 
forgot what they were called. But there was a group out in Iraq that um, that they have a sympathy for Iblis, and they believe he's going to come around. <laughs> right? I think it's been fourteen hundred years in the Ummah; he didn't come around yet. So, and then all the previous Ummahs too. Ahmed Hussein, thank you for that beautiful comment on Instagram. What is the ruling on organ donation from a deceased person? Well, the answer to that is that by definition, by ruling, organ donation is forbidden because you do not own your body. You may own stuff, but you don't own your body, right? Uh, Did you buy it? Did you make it? No. So you don't own your body. And because you don't own your body, you can't do with it uh, whatever you want. You can't cut up part of your body and give it away. However, as a fatwa, if it will save the life of another person, the haram becomes halal. So therefore, the only, if it will completely alter the life of a person, someone like, who was going to have a, it's darura and haja. Darura is life and death. Haja is, my life will be altered. It's not going to die, but it's going to be critically altered. Severely altered. Significantly altered. I heard an interesting like, perspective on this. Yeah. Um, he gave someone gave the example of like meat in the UK. I think it was yeah. when, when Muslims first came there, they were uh, trying to get like this fatwa to like always be able to eat Jewish meat or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like the shayukh didn't get. It. I didn't. I forget what it was exactly that they were looking for. But the shayukh wouldn't give it to them to push them to like get the Muslim yeah. meat out. And similarly, like if you're looking for the easy way out with the organ donation, you're not gonna generate the alternatives for it that's true because we can as humans you can make whatever scientific advancements mm-hmm. to, to replace organs that's a good point that there, there, so the idea here is that when a fatwa is given it's a fatwa for, for, for one generation it gets treated as the default for the next generation and that's a problem with fatwa so that it, and it, it doesn't motivate people to find an alternative same thing with like loans a uh, loan for a fatwa alright fine take a loan alright but then Next generation, it becomes their default. Nobody seeks the solution. And that's why there is an organization um, uh, here. We have an organization here called Maun. There's another one out, I think it's national, called ACC. They're trying to find solutions for, uh, for loans. And they've been able to really help people get, like, a car, for example. Like, little things. Not little things, but... This is not going to defunct the organization if you would default on it, right? Something like, they're still at that level. Eventually, college tuition. I think ACC is a bit older, so they've actually put people through semesters of college, I think. And you have to pay them back. Right? So, Ma'un is different. It's a credit union, which is different. ACC, the way it works is you donate, they give the money away. And they rely upon the trustworthiness of the person to pay them back. Okay, as a loan. Ma'un, you make an account with them and uh, you, you, you're not donating your money. You can pull that money whenever you want, right? And they use that money uh, to, to, to give the loans out and then you can take your money back whenever you want. So it's a little bit of a different model. Sophia says, how is the revamp going? The, I haven't put out any pictures yet because I want to put out the final picture. And we're looking at the end, the beginning of October. The outside will be completely done. Beginning of October, inshallah. 
Ibn Walid, are the ArcView courses on demand? Yes, they're on demand. In other words, you can watch them at any time. But there are some that are live. So starting September 18th, some classes will be live. Okay, we have our live classes. And of course, they're recorded and they're uploaded. Are they always available? They will be. They never, they don't have a beginning. And do we have Shafi'i Fiqh? Yes, this year we have Shafi'i Fiqh. And Hanbali Fiqh, by the way. We have all four madhabs this year. Sara Sulehi, please make dua for me. I have two exams and I'm freaking out. I'll tell you a secret, Sarah. Wake up, sleep early and wake up early and study in the morning. Don't do what these college kids do, and we all did it, which is get the cup of coffee at 10 p.m. and study deep into the night and sleep at 3 a.m. Your mind isn't as sharp. You're surrounded with distractions. And you wake up the next day miserable. So do the opposite. Flip it. Sleep at like ridiculously early times. For most people, that's like 9 a.m. 9 p.m., I mean. Wake up at 3.30, 4 o'clock a.m. Right? And study at that time. That's the best. Right? Muzammal Khan says, Can we recite salawah for a specific desire which we are desperate? Of course you can. Yes. And one of the shaykh... Uh, Abdul Qadir Saqaf, Habib Abdul Qadir Saqaf said that one of the, he said the first benefit of one who does much salah on the Prophet wasallam is his dua gets answered. He's given what he wants. Can you give the difference between Iblis, Shaitan, and Jinn? Yes. Iblis is the name that was given to a certain Jinn who is who we know as Iblis, right? But that wasn't his birth name. He had many names. He had, some say his name was Al-Hadith. And that he was so righteous, he got the nickname Azazil, the honor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the glory of Allah. Okay. And then when he lost hope in Allah's forgiveness, and uh, then he was given the name Iblis, means the one who has no hope. Because if you do not believe in the Rahmah of Allah, this is kufr. Right? So that's how he's a kafir. Shaitan is a word that means far from the mercy of Allah. That's why the Prophet said the camel was created from shaitan. Means the characteristic of the camel, part of it is that it has no mercy. Okay, It's extremely harsh and merciless. That's one of the characteristics of the person. That doesn't mean Iblis is inside the camel. So shaitan is anything that is far from the mercy of Allah. And jinn is an entire creation made of smokeless fire type of energy form that we cannot see. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, and a few of them are in the middle, neither good nor bad. They're opposite of humans, where humans are, some of, few are good, few are bad, few are really good, few are really bad, and most people in the middle. That's actually the default of human beings. The end of time is different. It's all good or all bad one way or the other. That's the end of times. And I think we're marching towards that. But the jinn, just because someone says jinn does not mean they're evil. Jinn does not not necessarily evil. Okay. What what dhikr, if we do any dhikr that is our default, what should it be? It should be salah on the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We should try to do 1,000 a day. So, going back to the organ donations... 
what is forbidden at all times to to give away is the organ that is never that is that is connected to reproduction that will confuse reproduction that is forbidden in life and in death we cannot donate semen you cannot sperm right you can't donate sperm you can't donate eggs you cannot donate any organ in life or death that will affect reproduction secondly we are forbidden the prohibition re- remains on the organ that is not connected to a, a dire need. Right? I'm sure there are organs out there that there's no dire need for it. Okay, so that is an organ that you can't... Uh, and uh, Lily is saying, reminder that you are an organ donor now by default, unless you register out. So I think people should opt out of that. The IYI brother says, are you allowed to run to prayer for fun? No, that would be makruh because you should go to salah with waqar, but you can move quickly to salah, okay? but not for fun, no. And there was, uh, let me just warn you that religion has to be respected. There was a little clip going around, people laughing, that a guy was pitching his hasa. Jamarats for Hajj. In Hajj, he was throwing the Jamarat, but he would be like winding up and pitching it. And his friends were all like laughing, right? Uh, you, you can invalidate your whole Hajj like that. Because you're making a joke. You're, taking, you're mixing your fun and games and your jokes with, with Ibadah. It's one of the things with TikTok and uh, YouTube and stuff is like people make these videos of like uh, while you're in the prayer and something happens and it's a joke. Like they're yeah. pretending to pray and it's a joke. And I'll tell you something else they do too is they'll like, come on someone who's sleeping and put a sheet over him while he's asleep yeah. and they'll start praying Janazah. That's good. And then the guy gets up scared and everything like that. That's terrible. So besides the idea of scaring someone they're saying oh we're teaching him a lesson. But you cannot make pranks you can't do pranks with salah right deen at all it's not a, a topic for pranks what were like the ruling on watching a prank like this like watching it no we shouldn't laugh at what's forbidden right if it's forbidden to do it's forbidden to laugh at stuff like that the scary thing is like you obviously wouldn't do it yeah but it's very like you might chuckle at it without you will it. you will you will chuckle at the guy's reaction, right? But you got to catch yourself and pin, we pin ourselves to the ruling, not to our whims. And that's one of the signs of guidance is when you're, you pin your behavior and even your feelings to what you know is right as a, as a law. Uh, Sophia, uh, Sophia says, different uh, Sophia, Sophia with an A. There was a story a few days ago. Kid died of an unknown disease and his parents donated his organs and it killed the person that received them. Subhanallah, the guy, he had a disease, he died for a reason, right? The reason was in one of those organs. So it's not always something that is beneficial. Fahad, thank you very much for your comment. Let's go to see, um, on Instagram, the Baha'i B says, Can anyone t- tell or say or judge if someone isn't a good Muslim? The answer is yes. Because if they commit sins knowingly in public does not every muslim know the prohibition of selling wine or of running a owning a club 
owning a liquor store? Is that some technical ruling that they may have not known? Or is it something we all know, right? So when they do that, in the public, in the open, then I can, we judge, they, uh, they have judged themselves as fasiq, meaning a public sinner. Like, you're not even embarrassed? It's a salih, righteous Muslim. Does a righteous Muslim commit sins? He's, what makes him righteous? He's embarrassed enough of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the community and for his own reputation, he keeps his sins in private. Right? And Allah protects him. Keeps his sins in private. So, the idea that sinlessness is not the case, it's, that's not the threshold of righteousness. Righteousness is, you are embarrassed enough, you're conscientious enough to keep your sins private. You wouldn't do it in front. That's not hypocrisy. If you're truly like embarrassed by it, it's not hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy if you're not embarrassed by it and you're scheming, right? That's hypocrisy. So that's why, yes, we can say that there's a category of salih, there's a category of fasiq. The salih is somebody in the public community sphere, we have not seen him do major sins, and we haven't seen him do, skip his obligations. Then there's someone we hope to be righteous, we call him like mutaqi, or even we can say wali. And that is someone who, ha- who publicly has the attributes of the awliya, he does a lot of ibadah, does a lot of good deeds, etc., all in, that's his reputation. So, the idea of reputation is something we take into account in Islam, right? And Allah views that, that your shame in front of other people is part of belief. It's part of iman. Soulful says, if on period, can I touch a book that contains Quran, such as Mukhtasar al-Akhdari, and the answer is yes just cannot touch the Mus'haf, or a juz of the Mus'haf, a portion of the Mus'haf. Anything that is, the Qur'an is less than 50% of it, is not considered a Mus'haf. I saw a good question on the live stream. Yeah, um, let's hear it. Adam was asking um, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the laws of logic, mm-hmm. then, um, right, you mind scrolling up? Yeah, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create the laws of logic? Yep. Where did it go? Right there. Oh, it's a Facebook. Yeah. Hey, could you char- could you give me the charge, please? If you're if you don't need it. No. I can charge it. Yeah. Here. Basically, the idea that if that's the case, then shouldn't Allah be capable of creating logical contradictions? Like basically, that why is it that we have to assume that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is logical, or we have to hold Him to logical standards? Like, how are things logically impossible for Him, or inconceivable for Him? Uh, no, they're not inconceivable for Him. They're inconceivable in themselves. Right? Thing is this. He's using logic to bring up the subject, to make his proposition. Right? Is he not using logic? So make give us the proposition without using logic, and then it'll he'll be correct. Yeah. Right? Is he not using logic to even suggest the proposition? Yeah. So mantik and logical statements uh, we we have no there's no discussion of them can't even discuss them outside of mantiq right uh, so he, he, where is the exact question that he's asking I think he keeps 
uh, did Allah create the laws of logic? If so, then how are there things that would that are absurd? Now we say that they are absurd in themselves. They are not things. So the question is, can a human being imagine something and even talk about it that is impossible to possibly to, to be? And the answer is yes. It's a jumble up of words. So we can imagine all we want and talk of a triangle that has five sides. But what we're doing is just nothing other than jumbles up of words. That's all it is. It's something that will never t- exist. cannot exist because it contradicts itself. So are you now asking why contradictions exist? Is because we have the ability to, to, to conceptualize one thing, to conceptualize other things. And we have the ability to conceptualize two things that cannot possibly go together. We have that ability, right? People, well, such as Allah telling lies, people conceptualize false gods that created the world. That's what they believe, right? So they conceptualize ideas, put them together. Those ideas can never possibly come together. I don't know, like, is there anything beyond the question, beyond that? No, because I think that when you think about it from a very surface level, yeah, on the surface level, yeah, Allah created logic. Therefore, he doesn't have to be bound by those rules. But the thing is, is um, what I'm reminded of is the line for, from uh, Ibn Asher. Um, that if like something that was possible became impossible or mandatory. Basically, that if something the rules of logic were different then what would happen the reality itself would be different yeah that's you know and we would see that the reality is different for example if the universe if we said that the universe created itself well we can't live in a world like that yeah. we would know you know then we would have the same conversation about that universe that created itself and we'd be saying something else is logically contradictory but the way that we see it and we perceive it we know what reality is mm-hmm. we also would not direct that to Allah and say he's bound by it you know say we would not fathom anything nor comprehend anything without logic, right. without it making sense, right? Otherwise, it's a jumble up of words. Right. So we, our created, we are we are created to receive information through our intellect in a way that has to be ordered, right? And in a way that in which one thing cannot cancel out the other thing. So our intellects themselves is like a filter, right? And that's the the language that this filter accepts is this. That's the language that this filter accepts. So, and I think that it's important. Like we don't ponder on Allah's essence; we ponder on His attributes. Yeah. Now, this is an example where if we start thinking too deeply about what is the essence, mm-hmm. we can't comprehend it. Yeah. We can't fathom it in any way. And this is what happens with questions like. This. And that is the that is actually the result of uh, understanding. Is the human being has understood Allah best at the moment when he says that His essence cannot be understood. Why? Because he is baqi. He's baqi. Right? And, and, and we're fanny. Fanny means we're, we're, we come into existence, we come out of existence. He's baqi. He's not bound by any of these things that we're bound by. We are bound by these things. He's not bound by them. And he created these boundaries for us. Right? So logic is no different than time and space. It's something that is part and parcel of our creation. We cannot fathom a human being outside of time. What does that mean? So what happens from one moment to the next? Can you fathom an existence in which you don't go from one moment to the next, in which you can recall yesterday or last five minutes, and that you look forward to tomorrow or the next five minutes? You can't fathom it. Can you fathom a human existence without a physical 
element to it. So then where are you? Like at this moment, I know I'm here. Can you fathom spacelessness? No. Can, you cannot also fathom the absence of logic either. Right? In that where if a word that is uttered does not mean what it means. And it means the opposite. It's just Janun. We call that Janun. So... Well, that's actually a great point, and that is the answer. Yeah, because so if, like, because when somebody says, for example, um, uh, uh, can God create a triangle with five sides? I say, draw it for me. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's the answer to it. Draw it, and then we'll discuss it. And the other thing right? is, um, I think that the question in and of itself is also, not to roast the... He's not, I mean, no, it's he, a valid question. It's a valid question, I've yeah. had questions like No, this. we're not roasting the guy. Yeah, I've yeah. had questions like this before, and I really have to think about it. Yeah, no, but he's roasting, wait, well, not roasting, but he's showing that sometimes we put words together in a question that the, that's, they cannot be conceived, right? Yeah. What I was thinking is that this is a logical question, mm-hmm. right? He's asking, can, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be above the rules of logic? That's a proposition that he's making. That's a proposition, right? yeah. And now what he's saying is that, can we not use our brains to fathom that proposition? Can a proposition not be logical? Like the idea it can being, never be answered. Yeah, the idea being like you know, our minds is the hakim when it comes to logical propositions. Yeah. He's basically saying, can we pull out our minds, despite the fact that our minds are the ones that are making the So in in essence, it is a, a dead end proposition yeah. because we would never be able to conceptualize it. That's why my first right. answer to you was, right. logic is being used here. Right. 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 And logic is the only way to come to a conclusion here. So we cannot use the absence of logic. The absence of logic or the contradiction of logic can never be an outcome. Right, it can never possibly be an outcome. It's a, there is a phrase in it in, in, in philosophy, which is a proposition or a, an argument that has, like, it's a dead end. It can never be answered. Right. It's like what I like to think is like we can use logic to make sense of our own existence. Yeah. But we can never understand Allah's existence. Like His knowledge is way beyond our understanding. Yeah. So it's like, what what are you actually asking? Yeah. All right, uh, so you're going to read me the questions from uh, f- from YouTube. It's on. He'll read it from YouTube. Chief Latif is really excited about his question. Could you answer it? A sister in my... Could you ask it, I mean? Read it. From the bottom? It, with all the hundreds and the uh, handshakes. A sister in my MSA asked if it is permissible for women to show their face on social media, and is it permissible to wear makeup? 100, 100, 100. Should I read those? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Zina is forbidden. And showing the face, it's going to be case-by-case basis depending on what, like, um, there's, like, an about page of a website, or is it something more, like, unnecessary? Or is it uh, even a lecture that's given with some respect? Or is it, like, um, that that would have to be a case-by-case basis. But the Zena, we know the ruling for that is prohibition. And it's for the homes. I really like this. Yep. Basically, the question is trying to use logic to disprove logic. That's exactly what I meant, which is why the rate, the only, it's a dead-end proposition, because we need logic, we can never come to a conclusion where there's no logic, right? right? And so, but in phrasing the question, we would never say that Allah is bound by anything, okay? But we said that He has created us, and the only way for us to have any discussion is through tartib al-kalam, ordering our speech. And that's why mantip, what did the Arabs call it? Kalam. 
right? Because ultimately it is the organization of our speech to, to bring us a proposition that I can understand and you can understand. Right? And, that, and what is the purpose of propositions? To reflect the truth. Remember, that's another thing. The, the purpose of propositions is to reflect the truth. Right? It's to arrive at uh, al-haq, which is the description of life as it is here in this world. Can I be stern, says, um, poco, loco. I'm telling you, the, 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 uh, the, the high school kids and the middle school kids are out. Um, um, poco, loco, says, can I be stern with my parents when trying to make them pray? No, you should not. And we, as according to Imam al-Ghazali, we are not, um, we do not command right and forbid wrong to our, our parents. We don't command the right or forbid the wrong to our parents. You, but you could just do your own, do the right thing and hopefully they'll be inspired by that. Uh, Al-Yamama says, updates on Safina Saadi Theological College. Yes, it is. The part-time program is out. We announced it. Alrighty, Ryan will put it up right now. And there it is. That is our uh, applications are now open for darulfat.org. Safina Society Theological College is uh, a big ambition. It's going to start slowly. Do you remember where this live stream started? Right in garages and uh, living rooms and on the deck or outside with a little tripod. But if you work at something over and over and over and you get help and uh, a lot of smart people come along, things could happen. And that's what we believe will happen with this too. So the. Uh, it is a part-time program now between here where we are, okay, Dar al-Fatih and NBIC. Okay. NBIC is our masjid in North Brunswick. They're our official partner and we will be, uh, inshallah ta'ala, um, having half of the classes there and half of the classes here. All the women's classes will be there. What is the fiqh on sadaqah? How much we should give? Sadaqah is as you wish. It's from your heart. It's from yourself. Oz, give me some uh, YouTube questions while this phone loads up again. What's going on here? Hmm. Catch 42. As opposed to the Catch 22... Saying that whoever gives sadaqah, his wealth will not decrease. Who are the most deserving of our sadaqah? Your family. Closest. People closest to you. Okay. Of course, if you're, there's some family members you're obligated to take care of. So you, that won't count as sadaqah. Okay. Should we divide our sadaqah? Or take care of one person? Whoever benefits most from it. Okay. In our mind, how do we picture Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We can never picture Allah ta'ala, but we can imagine ourselves. When the, what did the Prophet mean then when he said, uh, worship Allah as if you see him, meaning imagine yourself standing before the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there being no barrier between you and him and no distraction and nothing else. That you are just in the heavens standing before the throne of Allah. That's what you visualize but there is no visualization of Allah Himself, Azza wa There is a vision of Allah Ta'ala, that's in Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when we are given, replaced with organs that are baqi, everlasting organs, as Imam Malik said. 
Speaking of Imam Malik, this question is from Malik 27, who says, What is the end of viewing the Prophet's relics? We view them with respect and honor of that this is either a relic of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or an, uh, uh, even if someone, you know, the, uh, in Turkey, they claim to have the staff of Moses, the turban of Yusuf. So I'm highly skeptical of that, but I play along at the moment. Imagine if this was, if I was standing before the staff of Moses, it would be like nice to look at it, an amazing honor and a barakah. So I play along, but sometimes I don't believe it, right? Uh, for the relics of the Prophet ﷺ, some people make a big deal about the authenticity. And I say about that, Allahu alam. But I say, if it was the hair of the Prophet, I would give it this respect. And I hope that Allah accepts that intention. Because the Sahaba, عليهم, they honored everything that came from the Messenger, even his wudu water. Uh, let's uh, Oz, give me some more on YouTube because I'm not uh, my I don't know why my phone is not connected to the internet. Someone was asking if a Sheikh of Tasawwuf does a sin in private yeah. but repents from it. I think he said major sin. A major sin in if private. a Sheikh of Tasawwuf does a major sin in private but then he repents from it, um, I would say about this that. Um, this is a theoretical question, obviously, because it's in private, right? So that's the first part of the question. Secondly, I would say about it that Abdul Qadir Jalani was asked, can a wali commit a major sin? And he said about that, can Amrullah Qadr maqdura? The Qadr of Allah is there, right? It's past, could happen. But he said, wali, nasay sheikh. A sheikh has a bigger responsibility. He's a guide for people, right? So that guide has—I don't know how, how. Is it theoretically possible? Yes, it's, of course, it's theoretically possible. He commits a major sin and he repents. Yes, it is possible, and he remains to be a sheikh because shiuch are not infallible. It's they are tawab, and the one who makes tawbah, he has wiped away his sin. Next, us. Ibrahim is asking. He's very upset that I keep skipping this question. Oba. Uh, he's asking, um, how do I deal with a parent who is arrogant, offensive, or racist? Sometimes it gets on my nerves, but I don't know what to do. A parent uh, is like that. You all heard the question. Well, he should... You really have to have sabr, but you also don't want to poke the bear. You know, If you know that a parent is a certain way, you have to try to just accept the fact that some people have buttons. Right? Some people have buttons. I think we all have buttons. Right? Different buttons. Um, you, you don't press your parents' buttons and you don't get them to explode on something. You know by now, by living with someone, what gets them going. And you avoid those things out of respect. And you don't say, well, theoretically he should tolerate it. Theoretically, you should be a lot better as a kid too, right? But that's not how life is. We don't, we don't, well, he should accept it because the books say so or, or reality or whatever moral standards you're calling upon. And I think all youth do this, right? And that is a test for the parents, believe it or not. Right? It's a test to show the inconsistencies of the parents. That the kid is kids sometimes have a moral compass or a moral sense or what they imagine to be, they think is a moral sense, and they try to to, to jam it on the parent. Show them your uh, 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 you know, show them your uh, inconsistency. So that's a bala on the parent. Right. Next question. Um, Who? 
Uh, Who's Said Samdani, by the way? I think he's... Yeah. Oh, mashallah. I, I was literally watching a video of this yesterday. Oh, mashallah. Yes. Nice. Um, but I think that one of the biggest lessons that I learned was you can't correct your parents. Don't correct them. Don't work. even go. There's a story from Jishti uh, Sheikh. I think it's in Kashmir uh, Mahjoub. Yeah. I heard the Sheikh talk, talk about it. Um, where his father, he, like, he was like 11, 12 years old. And he was already destined to be a, one of the awliya. And his father, he was like a wine wine salesman. And so what happens is, is that when his father is out, he locks the door and um, he starts crashing, like breaking, basically breaking all the wine jugs and okay. everything. What happens is that the father catches wind of this and he's so angry that he like, he tries breaking the door down, but the kid won't listen. And so, I, and so he opens up the door eventually and he's so upset when he sees the scene that he takes a rock and he takes a rock and he's about to kill the son. That's how upset yeah. he is in a rage. And he throws a rock at the child's head. Yeah. But the rock stops just short, like it's flying in the air, it stops just wow. short, and it falls to the ground, and it doesn't harm him. So when the father sees this, you know, he falls to the ground in repentance. That's amazing. And what the Mashayikh said was that the real miracle wasn't the fact that the rock stopped. Mm-hmm. The real miracle was that a father made tawbah at the, hand, at the feet of the son. Yeah, because that's usually not what happens. That's, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. It's not what happens. It's, uh, it's just from the fitra of human beings is that they're not going to follow their kids uh, you know, when they're kids, they may follow them when they become adults. That's fees- that's fathomable, and I've seen that. I've seen many fathers take as like um, in many different ways their kids as they become adults when they've lived, when they've seen like what the father has seen of life. So, but when they're youth, no, it's not the case. But that's an amazing story. What's the name of the? Is there names to that, or is it more like a mythology? No, it was a specific story. I think maybe um, one of the, if there's any Tishti people in the chat, they would know it. Like, I, I forgot. It was a very famous, mm. uh, very, very famous album. Okay, next question says here that it is, do the items of the Prophet have an isnad? They have to. They have to. And in, 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 in the Western world, art pieces have something called a pro, what is it called a prom no like art pieces have like a pro, provenance art pieces have a provenance which is a senate essentially the provenance is a file that proves the the transmission from let's say Jackson Pollock he's a genius he made money he became the western world's greatest painter without learning how to paint <laughs> right is that not the best shortcut, right? <laughs> Michelangelo, how many practice strokes to make what he did, right? No, Jackson Pollock would throw the paint around, right? Scribble, scrabble of a kindergartner, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if he lived to see himself get rich, right? But uh, that's what it is. But they have to have evidence, right? Provenance is called. And people work hard to forge paintings they have to forge and if they if the paintings were on the black market then that's a problem too right so um, they have that for paintings they have that for relics too in the old days the relics of the prophet were kept by the khalifa because they need the military to protect it in other words usually kept in the capital city how do we increase tawakkul here's the thing g margus asked this question and I have a very practical answer. 
over-prepare. To, to over-prepare every detail of what you're going to do is the best way to become reliant upon Allah because the Prophet ﷺ's description of his tawakkul is that before the event, we would not imagine that he relies on Allah. Afterwards, we would not imagine that he plans because he prepared so well for everything. Only when you prepare your worldly aspects so well do you have the right to rely upon Allah Ta'ala. You do not have the right to rely upon Allah just for being lazy and saying, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, uh, rely on Allah and, and not prepare. And you've got a flight at four in the morning, you didn't pack, you don't find, you know where your passport is, you didn't print your ticket. That's not tawakkul. That is a false understanding. Tawakkul has nothing to do with this loose way of living. It's you prepare everything to the T. And then after that, once you've prepared, you leave it to Allah Ta'ala after that. You don't have the right to prepare if you haven't, to, to rely if you haven't prepared. Sagal Ibrahim III. I expect, I sometimes feel I'm not living up to Allah's expectation. He's disappointed. This is from Iblis. This is from Iblis. Uh, it is from Iblis. Uh, what we should feel is that connected to every sin is a something bad. And we should fear that something bad. In the same way, connected to every stove is heat. Connected to every uh, sharp item is a cut. Right? Allah has created it that way. So that's what you should fear. Those bad things that Allah created surrounded by sins. But Allah Ta'ala is pleased with the tawbah of his abd and he's pleased with somebody who is putting an effort and drawing near to him. Inna Allah yuhibbu tawabin wa yuhibbu al-mutatahirin. He loves the tawabin and the mutatahirin. Alright. Let's go to YouTube. I got my thing back. Suzella Rahim says... What are the etiquettes women should display in front of male shuyukh? Okay. And does it apply that gazing at a scholar is worship? I don't believe that it applies for the, uh, for the, for the women in terms of like being in the presence of a sheikh and the gazes should be lowered and the speech should not be with a soft voice. Muhammad Sain Gurkani. Now, you guys know that he used to be a Shia and he converted to become a Sunni on this live stream. Right? Yeah. No argument is the best response to some people. He's talking about, I guess, parents sometimes. Huh? He's a double convert. He went from Hindu to Shia to Sunni. Okay. Dino Palavra. How do we do Tenzi? Of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah. And Nasifi Creed says it is possible and gives examples of seeing something in a dream without direction or distance, but does not entail, still imply form. No, it doesn't. We say that we negate distance and form. So there can be a seeing without distance and form. That's, that's it. That's a summary of it. Okay. Safiya says, what if your parents make stuff up about religion? You stay away from the buttons. If your parent wants to attack you, if they, because you pray, pray privately. As much as possible, you don't touch their buttons. Trust me. No argumentation about religion is ever beneficial, or anything. Uh, people who argue, they're going to fall out of love for one another. Nabil XHY, Nabila, 
opinion on women singing Qasida. What's wrong with it? As long as they're doing it with a women's only gathering, there's nothing wrong with it. It's uh, completely permitted. Okay. Um, yes. I think Dino has more questions. Who? Dino, about the vision. Dino P, go ahead. Yeah. Read for us. Um, Make sure the mic is close. He's asking, you can't see something formless, though. But what I w- like, that's why I want to go grab Aqidah uh, Ta'ala. Um, because this is what we learned with Sheikh Murad. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read the translation. This is specifically talking about the Ru'ya, and I think that mm-hmm. you should, um, everyone should read the Aqidah Tahawi because it answers all these questions. Yeah. He says, The foot of Islam cannot be firm except on the back of submission and surrender. Whoever aims to gain the knowledge of that which is beyond his capacity to know, and his intellect is not content with submission, will find that his aim will veil him from pure belief in Allah's unity, in his Tawheed, clear recognition in Ma'rifah and true faith. He will then waver between disbelief and belief, confirmation and rejection, and acceptance and denial. He will be subjected to insinuations and find himself wandering, confused and full of doubt, being neither an accepting believer nor a denying rejecter. Belief in the vision of Allah by the people of the abode of peace is not correct if a person imagines what it is like or interprets it according to his own understanding, since the interpretation of the vision or any of the attributes related to lordship is by abandoning interpretation and adhering to submission. Mm-hmm. And upon this is a religion of Muslims. Anything, what's specific about the Ru'ya? Does he have the one this that's was, specific? This, this was specifically about the Ru'ya. So what, this was all, he said, this is the, this is what we know about the Ru'ya. This is what's mutawatir, and then he says that this is how we need to approach it. So Imam Tahawi is basically saying, make the fleet of it, because the Prophet ﷺ mentions it, um, because it's mentioned in multiple ayat of the Qur'an. <laughs> But that's it. Let me give you another answer too. And this is based on Imam Malik's answer too. It is that some people may say, well, why are you all of a sudden making tafweed and submitting on this, but you interpret away other things, right? Such as the nuzul. The answer is that, uh, for Dino, is that the ru'ya takes place, occurs with eyes that are different from these eyes. The ru'ya does not take place with these eyes. These eyes are fani, as Malik put it. We will be replaced with eyes that are baqi. And the eye that is baqi, we have no reference point to. So the ru'ya itself is not this ru'ya that I'm going to see something like an iPad. It is done with two different set of eyes completely that we have no reference point. When we get there and we have reference point of those eyes, we can give the tafsir. Right? Because to be fair to the mas'ala, right, uh, it's not the same eyes. Right? So that's why it's, uh, we, we, we uphold the ru'ya and uphold the tenzi because we're not referring to these eyes. Referring to different eyes. Um, someone was asking above if women can wear makeup in public. We answer to that and the answer is la. Typhoon says, nice uh, little, uh, you see their little Star Wars uh, initials there? It's pretty cool. Uh, yes, even one of the oldest Qur'an is, that is 99% complete is taken from Medina to Istanbul, the top copy of Qur'an. Yep, that's back talking about the relics related to the Prophet. Ibrahim Khan, how do I deal with an arrogant pair? We answered that already. And he's got a, uh, a bison there, looks like a bison. Is Murid Murshid relationship, what is allowed and not allowed? First of all, what is it first of all? Bay'a and Murid Murshid relationship is a self-binding. You have bound yourself to an agreement. What is the agreement? That the Shaykh will take his time out to seek to guide you and you will obey him. 
in a sense, legally speaking, that is the contract. That's the nature of the contract, right? He will guide you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you will obey him. Because, well, what's the point of the guidance if you don't obey him? What's the point of him taking the time out to guide you if, he, if you're lukewarm, right? So that's the agreement. It is a, it is a legal agreement between you and a sheikh. Of course, its motivation is emotional and spiritual and filled with belief that he can guide you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you have any doubts about that, then there's no point in doing it. Some people do it like they think it's fashionable or a magic uh, spell is going to come and without any work, they're going to achieve something. No. Right. So... uh, but you can also achieve this without necessarily having an official oath of allegiance. Like you could willingly follow somebody and they're willingly guiding you and you have the same result. Abdullah US, please answer my question, please. All right, let's go to Abdullah US who's got uh, an orange uh, wh- thumbnail. What, what are they called? Uh, thumbnails? Profile, Profile pics. Uh, I can't see it. Can you, yeah, uh, Ryan, go. He's getting bullied. He's getting buried in the comments. Bullied and buried. Keep posting it. Oh, no, we got it, we got it. Okay, go ahead. It's for Jawad. For Jawad, the pilot. Go ahead. Any tips from the pilot for someone getting a ramp position at an airline? Does he know how they are with the employee who has to go pray? Any other input or expectations from Jawad? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would just like stay on wudu all the time, and it's like a quick five-minute thing, you know. And a lot of the companies are pretty lenient. With, Talking about prayer as a uh, pilot, prayer. mashallah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, shall you should try to become a pilot too. It's you know you should make an intention on that if you're good with numbers and things like that. So numbers. What does it have to do with numbers? Uh, instrument rating. Oh, like, that uh, stuff. Flying through air pressure clouds. in the cabin. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But it, <laughs> <laughs> if you're good with numbers, and if you gadgets, have courage, a million gadgets. Could, exactly. They need to simplify that. I just need a steering wheel, right? <laughs> a screen, and that's it. I need Steve Jobs to take over the cockpit and make this like real simple. Uh, Abdullah, US, put your question again because I can't see it, unfortunately. What was? Oh, that was the question. Oh, okay, good. Good, good. All right. Hmm. Typhoon Sarai says those are the initials of his profile pic. Looks good. Looks to come out of Star Wars. Simon Medic. Will nothing be fact but facts be on Apple Podcasts? Yes, it is. All right. It is on Apple Podcasts. And it is on Google Play. And it is on Spotify as well. Okay. How do you respond to someone who says the medhebs are uh, stupid? I mean, that's just sort of such a silly question and such a silly comment. Um, You know, must be a child saying that in high school. It's got to be in high school. Because uh, you have centuries of people who are studying something and, and honing in on the most, the strongest answer to each question that also makes it consistent with all the other texts of Quran and Hadith. That's the goal, right? And so, um, 
I would like to say to this person, can you name, can, have, you, have you read the books of any method, right? So probably no one who has will say that they're stupid. Fictional frontiers. So hey, with respect to a masjid that holds multiple Jum'ah prayers, what criteria must one follow in deciding on which prayer to attend? They should, as much as possible, try to attend the first prayer. But if it's a matter of that the masjid themselves has asked that you try to split it up for the sake of parking, then that's an emer- that, that's a necessity. And we can follow that necessity because you have no other choice. You will not pray Jummah. So it is an innovation upon which we have no choice. And so uh, we can go by that, right? By what is f- practically feasible, all right? What is practically feasible in terms of physically getting there because what is re- necessary to achieve an obligation becomes an obligation, even if it's an innovation. Because so much of our Jummah is an innovation, meaning that it never happened in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was never more than one Jummah in the city. Whenever the Sahaba went anywhere, they established that one Jummah, one city. Then it was one Jummah, multiple Jummahs in the city, that was an innovation. But one Jummah per mosque. Okay. Then Jummahs, out, forget Jummahs outside the mosque, how about living permanently, I mean, outside in Islamic countries, Muslim countries, life outside a Muslim country itself is a discussion, let alone the Jummah there. So all of these are necessities. So you may decide based on what is most feasible to actually fulfill the obligation. Okay, uh, Nabila says, uh, I missed the take about the theology classes offered by Safina. Are they aimed at beginners, intermediate adults? So that is the college that we are establishing, bi'idnillahi ta'ala. This, we had the pre-pilot program last spring, summer. Now it is the uh, pilot, official pilot program. And that is on-site classes here in the state of New Jersey. If you want to move, join us and hang out with us in the state of New Jersey. right? Uh, supposedly our governors are lowering the taxes. And it's close to New York too, 45 minutes to New York. 45 40. to New York, 50 to Philly. Not even. An hour and five, 10 minutes to Makassid. Very important to me, to be next to my uh, uh, beloved Sheikh Yahya, which is, to me is like an anchor and you feel like, I might not go all the time, but I'm happy he's there. Like the feeling that he's there, right? And his community too. It's a great community. Oh, we don't a have lot of halal, bags A lot of halal places Plastic bags are, uh, what is it? We have a lot of halal food. We have Newark Airport's 20 minutes away. You know, I miss more flights since moving to Jersey <laughs> than ever before. Because Newark Airport is so close that I keep, like, I'm like so relaxed about flights. Right? I miss like three, four flights. Just because I'm sorry. I'm right off. Boom. Before I even know it. My coffee's still hot, right? When I hit the turnpike. By the time I hit the turnpike, it's like three, four eggs. It's a 15 minute shot on the turnpike. Then you hit the exit for the Newark Airport. I love Newark Airport because it's international, but it's small. It's the best. It's like not like JFK or Heathrow where you're taking trains, right? No, you, you park, you can park there. And get Ubered, but you can park there and literally just walk from Terminal C, right, to wherever you need to go. There's only three terminals, so I love it. It's it's where we have the biggest state university in the country. Is literally, we could probably throw a baseball three times. Uh, someone with a good arm threw a baseball three times, you'd be at the Rutgers campus. Less than that, 
even. It's not no, the it, biggest. Huh? It's not the biggest. It is the biggest. Most popular. I think it's getting bigger. Ohio you look State. At these we buildings, beat Ohio State. No way. They're making all these new buildings. Oh, yeah. This stuff is ridiculous. I used to, it was Ohio State for a while. We beat Ohio mm. State. What about Texas? Does that count? Like Texas because, system? no, they're, no, in one campus, I mean. One campus. This but we is have the three one. campuses. Yeah, but this is I'm the biggest campus. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You, you're talking about Camden, Newark, Rutgers. No, uh, when people yeah, say Rutgers, they mean New Brunswick. Yeah. No one means Camden, that right? That's true. But uh, as one campus, it's the biggest. It spawns over two cities. But, but really, like, Jersey is really like an underrated place to live at because right. people really underestimate the amount of resources we have in Jersey and yeah. the amount of people we have. So it's like, if you want to move, any place in the USA, number yeah. one, it would probably be like Jersey, New Brunswick area, maybe Texas, but like Jersey takes the cake because, because yeah. of the resources, the people, the amenities that are here. The present. practicality of it is that that's why we've been in the, I think it was uh, US News and World Report, or there was one thing, we win number one state to live in, like we've won it three, four years in a row, right? And it's because of, we have beaches, we have airports, we have uh, uh, Ivy League schools, we have the biggest massive college. We got two cities, right? Good weather. We have four seasons. We have diversity. Four That's true. Four we have four yeah. seasons. We have diversity. Like right? a travel, travel commercial right now. Yeah. So that's what, and, and, and as a Muslim though, the other aspect is that New Jersey is like a rectangle, right? You got water on one side and then you have like almost like a no man's land on the left and the south and the north is the city. So all of Jersey is essentially a rectangle. And, and it's, it's two arteries, the parkway and the turnpike, like your two jugular veins, right? And you could, as a Muslim, you can identify which community is at which exit, which masjid is at what exit. That actually gives a big community feel. Like, I know that on Route 1, it's going to be Masjid Wadi, us, ICJ, MCGP, like, in order, yeah. right? If I go up the parkway, I know it's going to be, let's say, East Orange, Patterson, right? ICPC. Whatever. Like, you know, like, it gives you a community sense. Unlike Texas, which is a sprawl, right? It's just, like, never-ending. Where is it going? Chicago is a sprawl, right? It's like, where is it going? Yeah, I remember, like, speaking of Sheikh Yahya, yeah. I remember when uh, Makassat was being built, one of the main reasons was because New York is about an hour drive from Allentown. Yeah. And Philadelphia is an hour drive from Allentown. But plus, it's in the suburbs, so you get the peace of mind. Yeah. But with Jersey, the beautiful thing is, like, you have, you know, everything is so close by, yet still so, you know, like, suburban. You know, so you have best of both worlds with, like, New Brunswick area and, like, the central Jersey area. And you could have a quiet suburban house with, a f with even chickens and lambs, right? And yeah, sheep. Exactly. And you could literally be 120 seconds in your car in traffic with noise. Because some people need that. They, they, it's sort of it's sort of eerie to be. You ever feel that like it's yeah. eerie when it's so quiet? There's no population. There's no action. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have a four year old says designed by Allah. Just finished just Tabata. Just by listening. Well, that's the old fashioned way, right? By listening. Should I start focusing on love with Quran through stories, or should I continue? Have her listen. Just memorize as much as you can when you're young. Shaken up. Shaken up. Says. Is there boarding for female students? There's no boarding yet for males or females, but we hope as a 10-year plan, let's say five-year plan, seven-year plan, to buy up the houses next door, right? And that will be the dorms. Those will be the dorms, right? And uh, 
that's an option. But there are what, places nearby that they can rent at like a very cheap price. Oh, yeah, people can rent, no problem. There's cheap rent here. But Nabila is saying, is Darafats going online? The answer is no. All of our online is being revamped now through ArcView. And we will have scholarship track classes on ArcView with uh, everything that you need. But ArcView is going to be the online version of it. Yeah. And it's being it's going to have an amazing revamp right now. ArcView has some really like ArcView has amazing yeah. Really has some amazing courses like, on the menu. You can learn all of inheritance like 98% of what you need from Sheikh Osama's course. M says Camden looks cool, but it isn't as appealing to me. I no. feel like it's too hyped up. Who has who in the right mind it's has hyped, hyped up Camden? No. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to get away with a murder or something, then yeah. yeah Camden is a place to do it. Yeah. Camden is uh, number one, I think. Yeah, now. heroin the f- there is really Heroin. Cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> crack, murder, gangs. Even the guys in Camden are trying to get out of Camden. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it overtook Newark, by the way. Oh, wow. Well. In your experience, says Sophia, what argument works best to demonstrate that the phrase authenticated by Albani. Okay. Um, someone who has a firm belief in their heart that Albani is an authenticator of hadith. Uh, so, I never actually read the webs, the, 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 the um, there is an article and there are books. I personally never read them because it was never in my heart that he is the final say in authentication of hadith. Because it has to enter your heart that he's the final say or a final say. Right? It never entered my heart. That's why I never read those books. But they are out there showing that, in fact, there are some mistakes. And in some cases, uh, they highlight one out of four. And what are some of the mistakes that he made is that he relied solely on reading books without actually having a mentor or a teacher to guide him through the process. So mistakes became compounded. Uh, that's the argument against him, right? And it's not an Albani bashing session here. But they did argue against him that he relied upon books not realizing that the publishers themselves of the books have a lot of mistakes and that Hadith scholars, they treat publishers with as much of a critical eye as anything else, because he's got to transmit properly. So I remember one time, the story, one of the stories about this critique, for example, is that a man came and he said, uh, 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 Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, in the adhan, with, without a tashkid, without dhamma on the ra. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Albani said, bid'ah, the narration of Muslim says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The Prophet said that. So the imam of that mosque, who was in Syria, he said, have you read all of the narrations on the Adhan? Or you just read that one? Number two, did you read Allahu Akbar? Do you know that Muslim, Imam Muslim, put the Dhamma there? Did Imam Muslim or did the publisher put the Dhamma there? Did the, because Imam Muslim did not put the Dhamma there, right? Imam Muslim, they didn't at that time write with those harakats. They didn't write their books with those harakats. Right, so uh, that's what he said to him. So it, he he remained silent, meaning that he hadn't. Their their critique of him was that the knuckle itself, the transmission that he took of the hadith, 
was not necessarily uh, precise. So that's a critique. That's what they say. Second critique is that uh, they clearly the strengthening what is strengthened and what is weakened for him. They have themes, mm. and that's a problem, right? They have themes. So it's almost like, and he even has categories: hadiths that are Sufi. They're called hadith Sufi, right? So any hadith that had anything relation to tasawwuf, for example, was like weakened. Another critique was that um, he has voluminous works. Like he, he wrote a lot, right? And that within the books, he may have deemed hadith weak in one book and strong in another book, forgetting that he had already commented on that hadith. So they say those contradictions aren't... So that's basically, if you want to show somebody the critique of Albani, then that's what you would show him. And it should be shown in a way that is just objective. And his allies can argue back, right? And have a debate, right? But it should not, to me, it's, uh, it should be objective because hadith transmission is like that. And there's just overall better scholars, like, you know, Imam Nawli, Imam Sayyuti, all Well, you can go back. So, so here's the thing. Many people, when they just see like an Arabic-sounding name they, in, a, in an Islamic book, you imagine... He's living like with a candlelight, you know, not far from the time of the Sahab in this wonderful time. They don't realize that some of these names are later, far later, way later, right? Contemporaries, right? So um, we'll take a couple more and then we'll wrap up for the day. Who is Sheikh Adab Ali? Adab Ali, I don't know who he is, to be honest with you. Never heard of that name. Shaken up. Tawakkul and anxiety, uh, we answered that, so just rewind a little bit. What's the best way to deal with feeling overwhelmed? Simplify, learn to simplify your life. And I like to take the sunnah of Allah as life is simple, right? Uh, Allah has made life simple. Okay. Um, if Allah wants us to eat something, like 90% of the time, it makes it taste good, right? So you eat the inside of the orange, you don't eat the peel. Allah made the peel taste bitter, but the inside tastes good. So I think that Simplification is the sunnah of life. Opinion on the maulid of the Prophet if it's done uh, with the intent of uh, encouraging the, the seerah of the Prophet and salah and salam, and there's nothing haram that's happening in the gathering itself, then you will get a lot of reward and benefit from it. Sagad Ibrahim, I don't know. I have multiple ways to go in the future. I don't know which way to go. That's where istikhara and istishara comes in. Istikhara is prayer for guidance. Istishara is seeking help from advice, basically, from those who know. So if I can go into being a, a foot doctor, a surgeon, or a pediatrician, we'll talk to each one of them. Okay. There's a question here, will be the last question, unfortunately, that we take. I want to take a lot of questions, but this has to be the last one. I have Sihah Sitta in my house from Darus Salam. Sometimes when I see Hadith reference and I look it up in the copies I have, it's a different Hadith. Is the numbering different? Yes, the numbering is always different from uh, publisher to publisher. I mean, we have how many different publications here? It looks like th three or four different publications of Muwatta, I guarantee you. The headings, the uh, numberings of the entries, probably slightly different. So you got to keep that in mind. So when someone says, 
uh, Bukhari hadith number 527 well who's who's publishing uh, that and who's putting that number there so uh, there's no right and wrong to that but just be aware that publishers themselves edited that okay Chief Latif is it permissible for MSA to post photos of people who are non hijabi mm. technical answer is no Is there a tech hadith saying eating three times a day? Um, one time maybe from Aisha radiallahu anha. Uh, the Prophet essentially he said that um, you should eat enough just bites, morsels, bites to keep your back straight. If you need to eat more than one third of your stomach. And one third for water and one third for air. Um, sorry. Yes. I know you said last question. Mm-hmm. Must be, I don't know. What is the question how old, here? How old? You're saying, I really want to put my 3D minions keyring on my keys. Can I? No, he's just messing with us at this point. Uh, the minion statue. It's one eye, the job. Well, one of them is, yeah. right? But I, I, I wonder about, you know, that it's something that can't survive. It's not a real thing. So I wonder what the ruling is. For adults, though, it would be no. For adults, no. For kids, yes. That's the ruling. Because we know for kids, they're allowed to play with statues and adults aren't, right? Toys, figures, we're not called statues, they're called figures, right? So kids are allowed to do that. Adults are not. So therefore, we'll say, um, Ismail, if you are old enough to drive, right, and you have keys, then the answer is, if it's just the keys to your house that your parents gave you, then you're, have the, you're old enough to be out of the house and coming in on your own time, then the answer is la. I would say the answer is la. Right? I've seen nine-year-olds in Morocco drive cars. <laughs> what? No, nine-year-olds in Morocco. Yeah, those countries don't have rules. Thank you, everyone, very much. Be sure to support us at patreon.com backslash Safina Society or become a YouTube member. By that support, we will run this, we run this live stream by your support. It is a free halakha, which we pray that Allah Ta'ala gives us the tawfiq to run it uh, constantly and be consistent with it as a type of halakha for the ummah and also a little like, uh, it's pretty informal and that's how I like to run things uh, in terms of these open halakhas. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us consistency and we ask Allah Ta'ala to open our hearts for the dua that He wants to answer for us so that we may become mujab al-da'wah. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala for sakina in our hearts. May Allah Ta'ala give us the time and strengthen us to do a lot of ibadah and fill our hearts with light and sakina and keep us away from Azdiqa Asu, friends who have ill will, and we ask Allah Ta'ala to bless our effort in this Dar al Fatih and in the Arkview revamp. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to bless all the masajid in our area, and specifically our masjid, the New Brunswick Islamic Center, for being our official partner and our host mosque. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for everyone who is involved in the soup kitchen and that we expand the soup kitchen so that we can feed people seven days a week, 365 days a year. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all those who are seeking shifa from sickness, that he gives them a shifa. All those who are seeking spouses, that he gives them a 
beautiful spouses in this life and the next beautiful in their deen and in their character and in their bodies we ask Allah Ta'ala for all those seeking children that Allah bless them with children that are a benefit for them and a blessing in dunya and akhirah for all those seeking wealth that Allah grants them rizqun halal pure rizq that is to suffice their need and more but does not distract them from his remembrance. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to strengthen our taqwa and to, to grant us husn al-khatima for us and for our parents and whose parents have died that Allah ta'ala enters them jannah without hisab. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those parents who are not yet Muslim that Allah guides them and whose children are not yet Muslim that Allah guides them to the truth and gives them the tawfiq to act upon it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lastly to make none more beloved to us than his most beloved Sayyid al Kunain. Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu